Welcome to Financial Planning Explained, and I'm your host, Mike Menninger, Certified Financial Planner, owner and founder of Menninger & Associates Financial Planning. Uh, always like this show to be educational, and we like to talk about the six areas of financial planning. You've got cash management, tax planning, risk management, investment planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. Um, today, I'm really, really excited to have a guest on my show. Uh, we're going to get in deep into the weeds maybe not deep in the weeds, I want to touch about it on the 30,000 foot level, but I have Gene Goldman, who is the uh, certified, our chartered financial analyst, which I am extremely impressed with that designation, but he is also the chief investment officer, director of research for Satara Investment Management, and to give you a clue who Satara is, that happens to also be my broker dealer. I actually had the pleasure of meeting Gene in person uh, he's in California, but I met him in person uh, back in January when he did a presentation to a group in Fort Lauderdale at a conference. And I'll tell you what, uh, one of the best speakers, and I pulled him to the side afterwards and said, you need to be on my show. He agreed. And Gene, thank you very much. I greatly appreciate you volunteering or accepting my request to be on the show. Thank you, Gene. Mike, it's my pleasure. I mean, I know your, your listeners are watching the markets, watching the data. There is so much uncertainty going on right now. It's my pleasure for us to just talk about the markets and the economy. There is so much for us to cover, and I'm excited to talk about this. Great. So for the purpose of the viewers, I don't normally do this because a lot of times a show may be taped, which it is. Um, I'm going to declare today is Friday, May 13th. So if you're viewing this, we all know how... Uh, data comes in and, and things like that, which might appear to be old news. But fact is, is that what we're going to try to do, we're making two episodes out of this. There's so many different things that we could talk about. Again, I'm so happy to have Gene on the show um, that we're going to try to take sort of the first episode where we are at today and hopefully kind of spill into the second episode, which will air the following week, which will talk about where are we going from here. So Gene, the first place we're going to start with when I know we talked uh, at length yesterday, is what are the three basic themes that you have for 2022? Sure, and then also just to leverage your your March, your May 13th, today is also Friday the 13th. So. That's my son's birthday too, by the way, and he was actually born on Friday the 13th. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> okay, so listen, um, everyone listen, our three themes for 2022 um, are, are as follows. So number one, you know, we believe the Fed will be aggressive and the Fed is dictating. They've said we are going to be aggressive out there. We're going to raise interest rates. We're going to re reduce monetary stimulus. And we'll talk about what all that means later. But more importantly, and this is the most important point of theme number one, is that the Fed will be less aggressive than the markets anticipate. Right now, if you look at Fed funds futures, and that's just a fancy term for what the market thinks the Fed will be doing by the end of the year, they're saying that that, that short-term interest rates, which are you know pretty low right now, are going to go between two and three quarters to three percent by year end. That's a big, big jump. We do believe that because we think inflation is starting to roll over, and we'll talk about inflation quite a few times today. Also, supply chains are starting to improve. We do believe the Fed will not need to raise rates as much as the markets anticipate. Our second theme is that the economy can withstand less stimulus. The economy is super strong. People are out there saying a recession is starting tomorrow. 
We don't see this at all. The labor market is strong. Think about this. We have 5 million more jobs available than people looking for jobs. We've got low inventory to sales ratios. Manufacturing needs to rebuild us. Many, many reasons why we do believe the economy can withstand less monetary stimulus. In other words, less support from the Fed. Number three, and this is the one that you're seeing all the time right now. Market volatility is going to surge dramatically. We're seeing these big swings up and down, up and down. Yes, today is Friday the 13th. Yes, the market is up. It's great news. But we think the last few days, we've had big opens and then big sell-offs. We're feeling more confident. I'll talk about this a little bit later. But most importantly, volatility is here because we're, everyone's trying to gauge what the Fed is doing. The Fed's trying to figure out what they're doing. And you know, you've got on the positive valuations are attractive. We'll talk about that later. But again, there's so much uncertainty, but there's some good news in the market. And investors, you and I, everyone, we're trying to figure out what should we do. And this is creating this market volatility. Well, we've had a lot of volatility. And, you know, a lot of the volatility, I think you pointed out, there's concerns. We also talked about right prior to the show, um, the markets are down 18% year to date coming into today. And all of a sudden today, the markets are coming up. And you implied that there seems to be um some renewed interest explain yeah so that's a great great question so you know there's been a lot like the markets have been bouncing up and down in the last few days the markets have bounced up a few times and everyone's like what's causing it? there's no real rationality behind the bounce back and some people have said you know maybe you know a dead cat bounce where stocks fall a lot fall enough and they come back but what we saw overnight actually at the end of the day yesterday in the market was really important markets were down significantly yesterday but the last hour of trading we saw a lot of positive momentum people were buying into the close that's a positive sign second of all small caps the riskier parts of the market were outperforming the conservative parts of the market Third of all, we saw growth outperform value. That's a great positive. And also, from a fundamental standpoint, Jerome Powell, Jay Powell, the head of the Fed, came out in his, um, as part of talking to Congress, he said, we reiterate that we want to raise rates 50 basis points or half of 1% in the June meeting and the July meeting. There's been a lot of talk about maybe they'll raise it by 75 right. basis points or three quarters of 1%. You know, Mester came out and said 75 basis points is on the table. And that freaked out the markets earlier this week. So all of this stuff really helped the markets kind of recover. And then overnight, you saw the Japanese yen trudge higher. That's a risk on. You saw yields move higher. And then I'm not a big fan of crypto. And I don't want to really dive into it too much, but crypto cryptocurrency, which is very kind of a riskier asset class, also moved higher. So there was a very much of a risk on environment last night. The other thing, sorry, I know I keep saying the other thing, the other thing, but there's a contrarian indicator out there. It's called the bulls to bears. And you can look at it that many firms create these. There was a bull to bear indicator, which was at extremely ugly levels back to March of 2020 levels. Remember, we were heading into COVID, March of 2020. The, this bull bear ratio was so ugly back then, it hit that same level yesterday. And it's a contrarian indicator. So basically, everyone's saying, oh, stocks are going to be ugly. It's going to be really bad. Boom, people go in and buy. It's a very contrarian. So all of these things kind of have factored in. And then you can look at the bond market. The bond market yields have been coming down because, you know, the, everyone's been afraid what the Fed will do. Will the Fed create a recession? Will the Fed slow the economy down too much? We also saw overnight that yields moved significantly higher. That's good news. So, again, all good news. Oh, 
Sorry, one more thing. And China, China is starting to have less cases in terms of COVID. That has been overhanging the market for a while because if COVID cases increase, supply chains get impacted and you know the whole story. So all of this taken together creates a very positive bias in the market today. Absolutely. You know what? What I'd like to do here is we talked about your themes, but I think fundamentally everything revolves around the giant gorilla in the room and that is inflation. And I know we have a chart here that you provided me. Um, Inflation has been the worst in 40 years. Now this chart only goes back uh, 30 years. I think it was in 1992, looks like, or does it go to 82? Okay, so inflation was out of control between 79, 80, 81. That's when interest rates were, or inflation was at 15%. Interest rates, you can go to the savings, you know, get a savings account at the bank, paying 14 or 15%. Mortgages were 20%. That was out of control. But then ever since then, with the exception of a blip in 91, inflation has been very tame. And what this graph shows is CPI, which is one of the, the federal government key inflationary measures. And then wham, all of a sudden, you could see by this chart, it took off. So fundamentally, uh, share a little bit about this because now that's going to tie in all that you were talking about when you're referencing the Fed. Uh, you know, the Fed is trying to control inflation with manipulating interest rates. So you care to talk about the inflationary piece because that is the gorilla in the room, please. Sure. Yes, definitely. And we feel for you, you know, you, your listeners, everyone. Inflation is high. It's big. It's out of control. But there's good news. So take a step back. So the war in Ukraine has had some really terrible, you know, it's, it's a terrible humanitarian crisis. It's awful. It's terrible. And I know for those of you with loved ones or those of you with people that, you know, people in Ukraine, our hearts are with you. And we hope this ends soon. But the economic ramifications of the war in Ukraine is a surge in food prices. Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. They, Ukraine and Russia produce about 30% of the world's wheat exports. The so world's food meat. prices have surged. Also, the, the Black Sea, um, where all the where the, all the military fighting is taking place, it's also creating some supply issues. So you have Russia and Ukraine, 30% of the world's food exports. You know, with the war going on, food's going up, wheat's up, soybeans up, fertilizer prices because we're banning Russian fertilizer exports. Those are all surging. These are surging dramatically. On the other hand, energy, energy is also surging. We have an energy problem in the sense that, you know, there are sanctions on Russia. Also pre-war in Ukraine, you know, we also had higher oil prices because we are producing about 1.5 million barrels less per day than we did pre-COVID here in the United States. So we have less supply. You take oil and you take food, it creates an inflation problem because food is about 13% of CPI, the consumer price index. Energy is about 7%. Taking these two, and the Fed already has an inflation problem. The Fed made a mistake last year. They said inflation was transitory. And we were saying, we were telling Mike and all of you, listen, the Fed inflation is not transitory. Look at the prices. You have seen it. You know, I, I go, you know, don't judge me. I go, I drink Captain and Diet Cokes. They, they were $6 a glass. All of a sudden, they're $11 a glass. I mean, at a bar. Things are going up higher and higher and higher. So what happened late last year, the Fed came out and said, transitory is off the table. What happened? was something called sticky inflation surged dramatically. Sticky inflation is inflation that rises, but does not fall that much. Classic example is rent. 
So you think about home prices. Home prices surged about 30% in the last two years. First-time buyers are about 30% of home buyers. So all of a sudden, home prices surge. First-time buyers get pushed out. What do they do? They go in and they rent. So landlords are like, wow, this is great. I'm going to raise my rent. I'm going to raise rents dramatically. But it's a very sticky inflation. The Fed worries about this. Because think about me. I live here in Santa Monica. My landlord is not going to look at me and say, hey, Gene, I saw CPI fell 1% today. I'm going to cut your rent by 1%. It does not happen. Okay. This is what freaked out the Fed. CPI owners of employment rent. So now the Fed has an inflation problem. And you've seen the numbers. You see everyone. President Biden talked about this the last few times this week. The good news about inflation is that inflation is starting to roll over. So year over year in March, it was at 8.5% year over year. Uh, April's came down to a year and a half, 8.3. The market was a little disappointed because the, the market was happy that inflation was coming down, but they wanted the velocity of it to come down faster. The good news, we're seeing inflation. With 60% of the jump in CPI, 60% of the jump in inflation is caused by goods, TVs, cars, refrigerator prices. Think about pre-COVID. You go to like Best Buy or you go to a store and say, oh, that TV looks kind of cool. I like it. But I know if I come back in six months, it'll be a lot cheaper. That's goods deflation. Because of COVID, because people were spending money, staying at home, buying 15 Peloton bikes, buying everything like crazy, prices have surged. So goods inflation has really driven CPI dramatically. The good news, I know, I know it's a short question, long answer, but some of the numbers we're seeing in CPI now, goods like apparel is starting to roll over. Other, you know, um, you know washing machines and dryers are starting to come down. Why CPI did not jump as much as people had hoped was because airfares have surged dramatically because oil prices are higher, airfares are higher. That's also what we're seeing. But the good news is that some of the key drivers of inflation are starting to roll over. And this goes into our theme, which we talked about earlier. Inflation will start to come down. It come out, may not come down as fast or to the Fed's target, but it's starting to roll over. And that's good for us because that helps, our, helps us to buy more in this environment. Perfect. You know what, Gene? We're up against a break. This is terrific. I want to pick up on the inflation as soon as we come back. So, uh, viewers, if you stay tuned, we'll be back with you in just one moment. Have you saved enough for retirement? Are you financially prepared for an emergency or unexpected event? Have you thought about your financial future? Hi, I'm Mike Manager, founder of Manager & Associates Financial Planning. For over 20 years, we have been answering our clients' questions just like these as we develop unique and comprehensive financial plans tailored to meet their needs. When addressing your financial plan, we incorporate your entire financial picture, including taxes, estate planning, as well as investment planning and retirement planning. So call us today for a complimentary, no-obligation consultation. A unique approach to financial planning. Welcome back to Financial Planning Explained. I'm your host, Mike Manager, Certified Financial Planner, and we're going to pick up where we left off with Gene Goldman. Uh, talking about inflation because fundamentally inflation is the cause of all the problems right now that we're having with the markets. And, you know, typically stocks and bonds react the opposite of each other. They have what's referred to in our industry as a negative correlation. Unfortunately, inflation has punished both the stock and the bond markets. So anybody with a 
well-allocated, balanced portfolios getting smoked from all angles. So therefore, investors and clients, they're all looking at their account statements and saying, holy cow, look how much it got beat up. So I'm going to pick up where we left off. You're referencing that inflation is coming down. And I'm here to say I'm not buying it. Now, that's not a pick on you, Gene. The reason why I'm saying that is because basic math says that I could increase the cost of goods, but if I'm comparing it to one year ago, and it was increasing faster one year ago, then it'll give the false impression that inflation went from 8.5% to 8.3% to 8 to 7.5%. But if last year is rising more rapidly, we're still dealing with nasty inflation. Care to comment on that? Sure. You have a great point. So what you're referencing is something called base effects. And base effects right. is an important concept. So base effects, in a nutshell, is basically last you know first of all take a step back inflation you're right it's a year over year comparison it's really the the difference the change in the two and so if you have a uh um a higher a higher numerate higher denominator on right the bottom, last year being last year's number it's moving higher it's higher it, it's harder for the top number the numerator to beat that i know we're going to mathematics i apologize i'm an engineer i went to i was an aerospace engineer so that's why all I right so am i so base effects are so important base effects is just basically the last year's number the year over year number is it has a higher base and it's harder for the inflation number to beat it you know what let me give you an example here's a great example used cars okay so used cars in the last 12 months are up about 41%. And we know why, because it's hard to find new cars, hard to get some parts, supply chain issues, yada, yada, yada. Used cars are up 41%. So Mike, that Ford Pinto you tried to buy, that was for $25,000. Yes, it was expensive, I get that. But the good news is that you're starting to see the base effects are gonna to start to make this difficult. So remember, used cars are up 41% for the last 12 months. For inflation to be flat for used cars, flat for used cars, that means used cars have to rise another 41% in the next 12 months. And we just don't see it. Used car inventories are surging dramatically. Prices are already rolling over. So this is effect. This is what the importance of base effects is. Yes, inflation is still moving higher. Companies like higher inflation a little bit. But base effects are going to slow down that inflation, the overall inflation. So we like it, yes. By the way, when you reference the used cars, um, that represents a portion of the inflation. And I do recall, I think it's three months in a row that the prices of used cars have actually come down. Is that correct? Yes. So totally make, yeah, makes sense. You can look at, there's a Mannheim used car inventory correct, index. Exactly, that's exactly. It roll over pretty fast. Yeah, well, it makes sense. So inflation fundamentally um, is caused by an oversupply of money, but really economics 101, it's a supply and demand imbalance. And all that money that was in the system was creating all this demand. Not to mention, all the people were stuck in their house, and now they can go fly and go all these different places, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the big issues that we've been dealing with for quite some time is supply. We've had the supply chain disruptions. Is that getting better? Yes. So your, your point about inflation is correct. Right now, we have a demand and a supply imbalance. Too much demand and too little supply. Supply chains, okay, so the Fed, we'll talk about the Fed in a little bit, but basically the Fed can't address supply chains. They're trying their best, but they can't. They can only address the demand side of the economy. The supply side, it is getting better. You can look at anecdotal evidence. You go to your local supermarket, you see many more choices of toilet paper, many more choices of hand sanitizer. That's good news there. I'm happy about that. I love both of them. Well, no, that sounds a little weird. I take that, scratch that. But um, supplies are everywhere. But the good news 
is that, um, you know, you look at Long Beach. Here, I live in California. Long Beach and LA, LA, Port of LA. Right. In the last six months, there's been an 8% drop in the number of container ships going through. This allows more of them to be unloaded. If you look at the freight costs between Shanghai and Los Angeles, those ship, um, freight costs have dropped dramatically. All good news. So these are just anecdotal evidence. Plus, if you look at survey data, and survey data is just this fancy economics term for data that we're servicing, we're serving purchasing managers, people on the front line. Some of their underlying indices, especially related to suppliers, are starting to say, hey, it is high, it's still elevated, but it's starting to come down. So there's lots of evidence the supply chains are improving. The big, um, the big unknown is the effect of China. You know, China, you could, there's so much data about number of ships waiting outside China to be loaded up. Again, we're watching that very carefully, but we're pretty cautiously optimistic that we're seeing so many signs of supply chains improving dramatically. Well, that's good. So if you have supply chains, that, that, that's going to help. And so now we go back to the Fed because we yes. talked about this. I derailed you because I wanted to talk about the inflation. But as you indicated, one of the Fed's main issues is to control inflation. So one of the things to control inflation is to raise interest rates because that slows the economy. And by slowing the economy, it slows down the demand. Okay. Right. Now, one of the points that you brought up, brought up as one of the underlying themes for 2022, the very first one is that the Fed is not going to do or be as aggressive. Please share now. Sure. Okay. So the Fed is, has a dual mandate. The dual mandate is this, maximize employment, basically get, get us all jobs. We all have jobs. It's good news. They've done that job and they've, they've checked that box. The other thing the Fed has to do is keep prices stable, minimize the surge in inflation. And this is where they failed. They failed last year. They're working on it right now. The problem with the Fed uh, in terms of inflation, if they're too aggressive, if they raise rates dramatically, this hurts economic growth. You know, Mike, as you said, you know, the Fed raises rates, borrowing costs increase, it becomes more expensive to take out a mortgage, a home equity loan, it hurts economic growth. If the Fed raises rates too little, then inflation surges, and this really hurts, hurts our purchasing power, also hurts our consumer spending. We can't spend as much because inflation is so high. This is the whole concept about the Fed in terms of trying to engineer a soft landing where they, they raise rates, but the economy glides into a nice soft landing. It's very difficult. And this is the, the, the adage about the Fed. There's, there's, a, there's a phrase about the Fed. Mar bull markets don't die of old age, but rather they're killed off by the Fed. Yeah, exactly. Because the Fed messes up so many times. So what the Fed is trying to do is reduce the demand side of the economy. We believe the Fed has to be aggressive, and they are, but not as aggressive as the markets anticipate. And there's many reasons why. You know, number one, you know, the Fed indicates they're going to raise rates half a percent in June, half a percent in July. That's one percent. That's a big shock to the market already. That's already slowing down growth. We just saw the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment. It's already come down to a 2011 low. I'm looking at my data screen here. It's come down to a 2011 low. So consumers are already, you and I are already impacted by higher rates. Second of all, the market is also pushing rates higher. As you said, with the 10-year Treasury yield has gone up to like, you know, around 3%. Mortgage rates are moving higher. If you think about this, um, if you bought a house at the beginning of the year, a median price home, and then you did buy it and you bought the home again three months later at the end of March, that same home, median priced home in the United States, your mortgage is now up 28%. So you see it's already slowing down the demand side of the economy. We do believe that the Fed shocking the market with so many rates, it's going to slow the economy down too fast. So they won't raise as much. 
Third of all, the dollar is rallying. We are at a two-year high from dollar. When the dollar rallied from 2014 to 2015, it was a big surge. It caused the Fed to say, we're not going to raise rates as much because a stronger dollar makes our exports more expensive. And the Fed back in 2014 and 15 said, hold on for a second. got to hold off and pause on rates because we the stronger dollar is creating a higher rate. And the fourth thing, okay, so bear with me. This is kind of an interesting point. Really, people aren't talking about this. The Fed has some very much some hawks and doves. Hawks are people that say, raise rates. Let's let's kill inflation. Let's raise rates as much as possible. The doves are like, yeah, let's raise rates a little bit, but let's wait and see a little bit. Because the Fed made that big mistake last year, everyone in the Fed became a hawk. But now as rates start to increase, we do believe that some of those hawks are now going to become doves. And you're starting to see this already. You've seen like um, James Bullard yesterday, the biggest hawk out there. He's like, yeah, maybe we should only raise rates 50 base, half a percent, not 75 basis points. Also, you see um, other Fed governors are going to start to move to be much more conservative. We're seeing this already. Plus, the two additions to the Fed that were just nominated, and I think they're being close to being approved, is Philip Jefferson and Lisa Cook. Both of these are doves, and they're going into the Fed. So we do believe the market has gotten too aggressive in terms of where they think the Fed will raise rates to. So long story short, the Fed is not going to raise rates as much because of those reasons. Also, as I mentioned before, inflation is starting to roll over. Supply chains are starting to open up, which will reduce some inflationary pressures. Long answer, short question. That's all right. Hey, you know what? We're up against time for the end of this episode. But before I close out, we're going to pick this right back up again. Uh, before I close out, I do have one quick question because I don't know how the Fed works. You know, Jerome Powell, uh, Powell is the chairman of the Fed, and he has, what, 12 committee members? Yes, 12, yes. So is it truly a seven to six vote and it goes one way? Or does he use the other 12 committee members as like an advisory board and ultimately it's his decision? Sure, there, it, it's truly a committee. I mean, he, he, he has the biggest vote, truly a committee. And basically it's, um, there's voting members and there's non-voting members, but he, he you know, it's, it is consensus, the number of people. So, but ideally he does not want to have someone, you know, you know say, I'm not going to vote for this. So this is what happened. James Bullard from St. Louis wanted the Fed to raise rates back in March by half of 1%. Everyone else said 25 basis points. So in the voting, it was it was like 9-0, everyone favoring one quarter of 1%. James Bullard, who wanted half of 1%, said, I'm going to abstain. I'm not going to vote. So they want a uniform message. This is what's messed up with the Fed right now. The Fed, if you look at the, the different speakers, you know, you've got Powell and Bullard and Daly yesterday saying 50 basis points, half of 1%. For the next two meetings. Then you have Mester, who I watched during Bloomberg TV, come out and say, eh, 75 basis points sounds good. That's why the market's freaked out on Wednesday and Thursday because of that, of that statement. It's amazing. So. All right, Gene, terrific. We're going to pick this up in a little bit and we're going to go for the next week's episode. This is today. The next time we're going to start talking about where are we going from here. So for everyone who viewed, thank you very much for taking the time to view our show today. I uh, hope you have a great week, and we will see you next week for the part two of this episode with Gene Goldman. Thank you very much for joining us. And again, I am Mike Manager, certified financial planner, host of Financial Planning Explained. I look forward to seeing you again next week. Thank you for joining in.